This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by our very own Book Riot Insiders, and you can bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial. You can sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription, and the first 14 days are totally free. No need to put it on a coupon, co- coupon code or anything. It just happens automatically. Um, and when you sign up for the novel subscription, you get the new release index that lets you see all of the most exciting upcoming books. You can wish list the ones that you're dying to read. You can also listen to our exclusive podcasts and read our Just for Members newsletters. There is a monthly swag bag drawing, all kinds of good bookish perks. So you should come on in, go to bookriot.com insiders to find out more. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 143, and we are recording on August 7th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Hello from your new office. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say welcome to my new office. Yes. Is not that interesting. I'm not going to tell you all stories about my office. I don't know. I always love a new office because then you can rearrange your desk. And there oh, it was very things exciting. more satisfying. It was exciting to me. I just assumed that no one else cares. <laughs> I care, Amanda. Thank I care. you. <laughs> I bought a nice L-shaped desk. I went to Target and like bought yeah, so yeah. many picture frames. Mm. A new coaster and like a house plant. Did you get a new notepad though? I got a new mouse pad. I do not have a new notebook because I just use my bullet journal. I have a work specific bullet journal. You have a mouse pad. I do. I have. You have a mouse. I do. Yeah. Like typing on my laptop was hurting my wrists. So I expensed a wireless Apple mouse and it has been very helpful. And a new keyboard, I assume. No, I'm just still on my laptop. Huh. It was like the position of where, oh, like the high-low, the yeah. like weird angle. That we, this is so boring, y'all. I'm sorry. No, sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm super, I apologize. I have let us down an office rabbit hole. I will stop now. <laughs> what are you reading, Amanda? Um, I am still, again, once more, I don't know, reading Pachinko <laughs> by Min Jin Lee, which I started maybe four months ago. What? And I know. I just like, I forgot about it. I read the first chapter and was like, oh, this is amazing. And then I, it just got in up the bottom of a stack, you know, how it goes. And I forgot that it existed. And then last week, I was like, wait a minute. I was loving that. What happened? And so I picked it back up again. And now I'm like halfway through it um, in seven days because it is amazing. I was right the first time. I just don't know what happened. I have a lot going on, y'all. So there was, you know, not room in my brain for it. Uh, it's quite a chunker. But it's great. It's uh, Korea and Japan in the early 20th century multi-generational family epic, which I love multi-generational family epics. Um, Lots pulling at your heartstrings. I'm into it. So yeah. What about you? I, so last year with the insiders, we did a Tortal like read along reread. We, where we read all of the Tamara Pierce books in preparation. It was supposed to be in preparation for reading Tempest and Slaughter, which is the newest book in that series that came out in like, I want to say either late December, early January. And I did the whole reread and then didn't read the book. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I just finally picked up Tempest and Slaughter, which is, if you're familiar with the Tortal books, it's like a prequel for Numer specifically, who's from the Immortals series. Um, and it's interesting to me because the Immortals series has like a May-December romance. And I often, meaning like one, like the girl is much younger than the guy. And um, and Numer is the guy. And I have like mixed feelings about that always. And especially in the Tortal books, like it seems like every romance in those books is a May-December romance. And I'm just like, hmm. Like as a, as a 12-year-old, I was like, oh, it's so romantic. And now I'm like, I'm 35 and I'm like, hmm. I, <laughs> I have different feelings about this now. But that being said, Numer is a great character and I'm really interested enjoying like reading about his like you know childhood and like coming of age and what and Tamara Pierce does coming of age so well like plus magic so I mean what's not to like actually so I'm really I'm it's it's like um it's like it's a very restful experience for my brain it just it just like is just really pleasant and lovely um so yeah so that's that's what I'm reading right now in addition to of course to all of our podcast show books so because I recorded all the books this week and so I was buried in those um all right let's see so how this show works when we're not talking about mouse pads and <laughs> electronic keyboards DMs DMs about keyboards yeah <laughs> I'm here for those DMs um as we talk about books specifically, we do personalized reading recommendations, as I said at the top of the show, which means that you send us reading requests and we do our best to find you your next book. And that can be for your book club. It can be for, you know, a book that left a hole in your heart and you want more like it. It can be for if you need a gift to give to a friend or a relative and you know what they like, but you're not sure what to give them. We can help with that. So you can send us questions either at getbooked at bookriot.com or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes for each episode on the Book Riot site. If you have a time-sensitive request and you're hoping for an answer by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, like all caps, and the date that you're hoping for an answer by either in the very first line of the form or the subject line of your email. We do have a lot of requests and we don't go through them in exactly chronological order, but we will do our best. If you have sent in a question that we're not going to get to on air in the time allotted, or if you have asked a question that we've answered somewhat recently, I might send you an email response, so keep an eye out for those. All right, I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and away we will go. First question is from Brittany, who says, my friend and I are going on a trip to the Balkans, Croatia, Montenegro, Serbia, Bosnia, Belgravia, Macedonia, and Albania. We love historical fiction or narrative nonfiction and would love to read more about these countries before visiting. All right, our first sponsor is Flatiron Books and Legendary by Stephanie Garber, uh, which is the sequel to Caraval, which was a huge book last year. So after being, this is, the synopsis might be a little spoilery. So if you are, if you have read Caraval and like don't want to know, or you haven't read Caraval, but you want to, and you don't want to know what happens, then you might want to fast forward through this bit. Um, but if you have read it, it's fine. Um, so after being swept up, you know, in all that magic in Caraval, Donatella, who's the main character, has finally escaped her father, she saved Scarlett, who is her sister, from that horrible arranged marriage. And the girls should be celebrating and happy, but Donatella is not entirely free yet. She has made a really desperate bargain with a mysterious criminal, and the time to repay her debt has come. So, you know, everybody was so into Caraval when it came out, and the cover was so pretty. Um, and I remember hearing everyone just, like, freak out, saying that it was the new... Um, 
called? Night, Night Circus. Circus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but so in the sequel, the stakes are higher. You know, the games have just begun. So circus fiction with magic for all of y'all out there who I know deeply love that. So it's Legendary by Stephanie Garber. If you have had your fingers in your ears because you didn't want to know how Carvel ended, then you can unplug them now and we are going to move on. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay. Um, so Balkan historical fiction. I picked A Girl at War by Sarah Novick, which I could not, I like, I had a big question mark in the agenda forever because I couldn't decide if it counted as historical fiction because is that historical? I mean, 1991, is that like old enough to be historical fiction? I don't know. I don't know the um, objective definition. I don't think there is one of historical fiction, but uh, it goes, the the book bounces back and forth between Zagreb in 1991, uh, which is when the Civil War was first starting, and 10 years later when Anna is in college in New York. So you go, uh, there's flashbacks and also present day stuff. So when the book opens, it's the summer of 1991. Anna is 10 years old. She lives in, you know, it's the capital of Croatia. She has a best friend. His name is Luca. Her family, it's her, her parents, and her little sister who is ill. She's got a chronic illness. Uh, And then the civil war breaks out. uh, And Anna and her family have to really struggle to find medical care for her little sister. They start trying to think of ways to get out of the country uh, because it's becoming more and more dangerous uh, to live, especially in the city, as the violence is spreading. Um, And they make one kind of like last attempt to get the child the medical care that she needs. And while they are doing that, a big tragedy strikes her family. And I'm not going to talk about it because spoilers. Um, And so after that, Anna becomes really involved in fighting the war physically. Like she becomes essentially a child soldier at 10. Um, And then she is rescued from that situation by, um, uh, what do you call it? A humanitarian group. And she moves to the U.S. where she... um, is in foster care and grows up in New York to go to college. And she's trying to tell this story uh, to at the UN to like a panel. And that's how you're getting the flashbacks as she's going through what happened. But she's trying to forget it. Like she's trying to move on. Um, she has a boyfriend. She's in school. And it's just not working. And so she goes back to Croatia to kind of confront her past and try to find people that she lost who she never um, got back in touch with. So if you don't have any... Um, like historical background in the war in Yugoslavia or what ha- maybe even what happened to people as they were fleeing um, or the ethnic lines along which the ethnic and religious lines along which the civil war kind of happened. I think this is, this novel is a good introduction to that situation. And, you know, you're going, I, I'm hesitant to be like, you're going for a vacation. Here's a book about war, <laughs> but you know, but it was such a recent situation and, you know, the the impact of that is still being felt. And a lot of the landscape, a lot of the buildings, the things that you're going to be seeing in the streets you're going to be walking through are still marked by these things that happened only, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, And the novel itself is amazing. She's such a good writer. It's it's really engrossing. You'll read it in maybe a sitting or two. So that's Girl at War by Sarah Novick. I also picked a somewhat contemporary, like a two-timeline book. I picked The Tiger's Wife by Taya Obrecht, um, which is set in an unnamed Balkan country. And Taya uh, is, was born in the Balkans. Um, she was born in the former Yugoslavia and um, immigrated to the United States when she was a teenager. Um, and so this is like a very personal story for her. And it's an amazing, it was her debut novel. And I just thought it was so good. Um, and it does sort of 
sort of have two timelines. So the sort of current timeline is the main character, Natalia, is a doctor. Um, and she is going to sort of do humanitarian work at this orphanage. Um, and she is there with a friend and, you know, doing her, like, medical work, you know, being a doctor, doing doctor things. And... But her experience at the orphanage starts to sort of bring up some of this stuff from her childhood, like superstitions and there's secrets and there's like weird excavation going on in the vineyards nearby. And she's not sure what's happening, but it also it it connects to some things from her own past. Um, and her grandfather has recently died and he decided like instead of like dying at home or like being around friends and family and he knew he was ill, he's a doctor. Um, he decided to like go off and basically like left home and died alone, like on this trip that nobody knew he was taking. And that was really upsetting to her. So she's both like trying to figure out like why her grandfather did that. And then also thinking about her childhood and thinking about like what the work that she's doing now. So there's a bunch of different threads to it, but the way they all come together is just beautiful. And there's all of these great sequences from her childhood and then also from her grandfather's childhood. Um, and it's just so atmospheric. It's really vivid. You feel like you're there walking, you know, these streets or working in this vineyard or, you know, talking to the kids. Like you feel like you're there with the main character. And I feel like it is a really beautiful novel. And if you're going to be there, like I, it's an unnamed Balkan country. Like she doesn't set it in a specific place, but I feel like it will give you sort of a general feeling um, for what you might see and where you might go. And like, and again, like Amanda said, like, you know, the, the conflict there happened pretty recently. Um, as, as these things go. And, and there is a lot of, you know, sort of contemporary history that I think is important to understand. And this might give you a little window onto that without getting like really super specific. So that's The Tiger's Wife by Taya Obrecht. Alrighty. Question two is from Rachel, who says, I'm looking for an interesting essay collection for the Read Harder Challenge. End of question. <laughs> I love it. Super, Great. Super simple, straightforward. Okay. Um, I picked The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race, uh, which is a collection of essays and poems edited by Jasmine Ward, um, who, of course, is a National Book Award-winning author and uh, essayist herself. Um, so this is a jumping off, a collection of essays that jumps off James Baldwin's book, The Fire Next Time, um, which was an examination of race that he wrote in 1963 in response to the civil rights movement. Um, so Jasmine Ward has collected a variety of authors and poets together to do a, not an updated version, because the point of this collection is kind of that, like, the things that James Baldwin is talking about in The Fire Next Time are still happening, are still relevant, um, are still, still need to be dissected and thought about, uh, and all of that. So it's not, I, calling it a jumping off point feels kind of incorrect. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. So um, you've got, let's see, Kima Jones, Claudia Rankin is a contributor, Daniel Jose Older has a really great essay um, that's a letter to his wife who is black and he writes about coming back from their honeymoon, which they got married. I think it was outside of the country, but I don't remember where they got married outside of the country and they're coming back into the U S and he's talking, he like writes this letter to her about having children and what raising a black child will be like. And it's just really, really beautiful. Um, there's a lot of poems in there that are amazing. You know, that there are some of the essays talk about police brutality, white privilege, um, the, the hope, 
that came and then was kind of quickly extinguished um, via Obama's presidency. Uh, and ju- just, I mean, like every, not every, but a lot <laughs> of the most um, relevant and insistent racial issues that we are all thinking and talking about now are addressed in the book, which is amazing because it was written, um, I think it was it was published in 2016. So um, not... I, I was trying to say it was written before the election, but I can't remember when the election happened or what year it is right now because we all exist <laughs> in a terrifying hellscape of never-ending suffering. <laughs> so it was written before the election, but not too much before the election. So those sorts of things that led to what happened in the election are still very much so addressed in in the collection. Um, yeah, so that's The Fire This Time, A New Generation Speaks About Race, um, edited by Jasmine Ward. And I will say that you don't necessarily need to have read James Baldwin's collection to understand what's happening in this one. So, yeah. But also maybe you should read James Baldwin. You should, you should, yes. Prompt. I'm just saying, I'm just <laughs> saying, maybe should. you should read them both. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. Um, so I picked how to write an autobiographical novel by Alexander Chi. So instead of doing a collection of different author essays, I wanted to give you a single author essay collection. And I love this collection so much. It just came out this year. It is so good. Um, I am going to give a trigger warning for uh, child abuse. Uh, one of the essays does talk about an abusive situation that she lived through as a child, um, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that essay specifically in this spot. Um, I This essay collection is so broad-ranging. So it goes from, you know, like I said, there's a stuff about being a child, but there's also, you know, stuff about being a writer. There's stuff about his activism work in San Francisco when he lived there. Um, He's Korean American. So there's, uh, you know, things about that and he's gay. And so there's, you know, coming out stories and, you know, dealing with all of the things that, um, he had to face that way. Um, and there's a beautiful essay. One of my favorite essays, because I'm a plant nerd, is about him growing this rose garden in the backyard of this apartment that he had in Brooklyn. Um, there's also an incredibly moving essay about the AIDS crisis. Like, there's something in there about 9-11. There's something in there about dealing with the death of his father. Like, there's one on tarot reading. Like, I his, his interests in his thoughts and insights are so broad ranging that I just genuinely feel like this is one of those essay collections that has an essay for everyone. Like everyone will have a different favorite and that's exactly right. Like there's going to be something that speaks to you in here in a really fundamental way. And I think that's part of the genius of his writing. Um, I just can't say enough good things about it. I thought it was incredible. And I'm definitely going to be revisiting some of these essays myself. Um, and and it's interesting too because, you know, we've talked about his historical novel, Queen of the Night, so many times um, on this show. And he also, he talks about um, that a little bit, but he also talks about writing his first novel, which was a contemporary story um, and how that was like cathartic for him. And so if you haven't read him yet, I don't think you're going to miss anything and you might find your way to his fiction through these essays. If you have already read his fiction, you definitely need to read these essays because then you get to see sort of the brain behind the fiction. So again, that's How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. 
Next question is from Dominique, who says, hello from Canada. Hello. Uh, I'm looking for book recommendations for my sister. She's in her late 20s and has described herself as enjoys reading uh, but only likes weird stuff. She seems to like John Wyndham books, books that are weird, creepy, not very sci-fi, not very magical, something more in between. I suggested the library at Mount Char, one of the weirdest I own. Correct. Uh, but she was turned off due to the title and perhaps my poor pitch. She will pick up Dark Matter and the Southern Reach trilogy due to my persistence, but I'm not sure they are right for her. Please help. Amanda, what did you pick? It's the weirdest book I can think <laughs> of, um, which is the Weird Mushroom book. Uh, it's called The Beauty by Alia Whiteley. Alia Whiteley? I'm not sure. Um, so this is not, I guess it's technically science fiction, but it's also a little bit horror um, and dystopia. And she's just weird. Like, if she ends up liking the um, the Southern Reach trilogy, I think this would be good. Um, so this is takes place in a near future wherein all of the women in the world are dead because they have contracted some sort of weird fungal disease where like mushrooms grow out of their body until they die. Yeah. Um, and so when the book opens, it's several years after this has happened, and we are sitting in the company of several men who have created this little commune in the wilderness. Um, they gather together around a campfire every night. The narrator of the book is their storyteller. It's like an official community position. So he comes and he tells stories of their lost mothers, wives, sisters, daughters, etc. Um, and then also of the time before. And uh, all of this is, you know, they're kind of just sitting around waiting to die because without women, they, you know, humanity will not continue. So they're they're all very like, sad um, and not doing really anything to enrich their own lives because what's the point essentially is where they are when the book opens. And then Nate wanders off into the woods with his uncle one evening and falls into a hole. And at the bottom of the hole, he discovers a mushroom lady. <laughs> um, from here on out, talking about this book is just going to sound so bananas. Um, he's well, He was wandering around the graveyard when he does this. And he is cared for for several days in the hole by this mushroom-looking fungal thing in the shape of a woman who doesn't speak but communicates to him via, like, you know, gestures and things. And then he kind of falls in love with her a little bit. And then she brings him up out of the hole. He brings her back to his community. And several more of these mushroom women start showing up. And then the men kind of let them into their lives. And quote-unquote fall for some of these mushroom ladies and then there's like a whole reproductive narrative that's super weird <laughs> and the whole thing is just super weird and there's no other way to really describe it um at the end you know what I'm not even going to go there about like what <laughs> happens at the end but the the process through which these mushroom women I, which I feel like there should be a better way to talk about them um infiltrate the lives of these men is so creepy and fascinating because they never speak um, and they are physically stronger than the men in the book and that becomes a big deal as the book continues. And that's really what I think Whiteley is kind of pointing at in this book is, is that these silent women who are more powerful than the men physically come in and start upending traditional gender assigned gender roles, including things having to do with reproduction, um, which is just... <sighs> there's a little bit, there's not a lot, but there's a little bit of weird body stuff. So if you've got like body horror stuff, then I would maybe avoid this one, but super weird. John Wyndham fans, I think would be all over this. So that's the beauty by Aliyah Whiteley. Yeah. You don't hear John Wyndham come up very often, no. but I remember reading day of the Triffids, like a couple, maybe like five or six years ago and being like, Oh, this is, 
this is this is something. <laughs> <laughs> you are doing a thing here, sir. <laughs> you are doing a thing. Yeah, exactly. So the like a plant themed weird definitely works. I think for a comp. Um, I picked a book that is. I was trying. It was hard because most of the really weird books that I love are either very sci-fi or very fantasy, but I, you said not very sci-fi, not very magical, and that's hard, but I wanted to give you something that was as close as I could get. So I picked The Book of M by Peng Shepard, which much like The Wyndham or the one that um, Amanda recommended is like a little bit of a, it's a dystopia, or no, excuse me, it's a post-apocalyptic narrative. Um, In this scenario, you're sort of getting the story mid-apocalypse from one of the narratives. Um, it's set in our world and one day a man who's just like at a market in India, his shadow disappears. Um, and it's like, you know, the news crews show up and they're like, Oh, the man without a shadow. Like, is it like a astronomical event? Like how, but he's the only one, like what's going on here. Um, and then it starts to other people start losing their shadow and they also gain the ability to do things that should not be possible. It looks a lot like magic. But they also start to lose their memories. And it becomes like a plague, basically. It spreads. Nobody knows how it spreads or why. Nobody knows how to stop it. Um, And... And the people who are affected not only lose their memories of like friends or relatives or what they did when they were kids, but they also in extreme cases like forget to eat or forget how to breathe. Um, So it can be basically fatal to lose all of your memories in this scenario. So there's a couple who were at a wedding when the news sort of hit that this was had reached epidemic proportions and they just stayed at the, at the hotel. It's kind of out in the middle of the nowhere um, that they were at for the wedding and are just kind of constantly watching each other waiting for one of them to get sick. And they have all these rules and they're trying really hard to just like stay alive and stay safe and stay together. And one day um, Max, uh, like she does, she loses her shadow and um, Ori, her husband goes off to get more supplies and when he comes home, she's gone. Uh, so the book is Ori and Max separated and trying to, like, why did Max leave? And is Ori going to find her? And then there's another character named, oh gosh, I'm so bad at remembering names. I think it's Naz. Um, she was my favorite, even though I can't remember her name because I'm terrible at names. Um, yeah, Manaz, um, who is Iranian and she is in the U.S. Um, for archery. She's like training for the Olympics in archery, which is awesome. Um, and she like is in Boston when all of this goes down and she sort of sees the city crumble around her and she ends up going on the road also with her sister. So you're following a couple people as they like traverse the country, trying to be with the people they love and like getting into all kinds of scrapes. Um, and it's very sort of matter of fact. And like, it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not, it doesn't lean into the magic. Like the magic is there. It's sort of surreal more than fantasy, I would say. Um, but it's, and it, it becomes like a huge plot point, but the actual details of it are so mundane. And like the way that the stories unfold, it just feels like it could almost be any road trip novel, except that there's this twist. So I think it's, I think it might appeal to her. I really loved it. The ending is such a tearjerker, by the way. 
right? Like this book has some heartbreaking and really wonderful moments. And I was just like, I finished it and I had all of the feelings, just all of them. Um, just like, yeah, welling up in me. And I, I think it's, I think it's amazing that it's a debut also. So again, that is the book of M by, oh, excuse me. It's Pung Shepherd, the book of M by Pung Shepherd. All right. Question for us from Whitney, who says, I just finished Bretta's So Close to Being the S-H-I-T. I don't know if I can say it on the show. <laughs> uh, so Close to Being the etc. Y'all don't even know and loved it. I was hoping you could recommend something similar. I love behind the scenes stories and comedic tone. I've also read and enjoyed books by Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Mindy Kaling, and Anna Kendrick. Alrighty. Um, funny books by famous funny ladies seems to be the thing that you're into. So I picked This Is Just My Face. Try Not to Stare, by Gabourey Sidibe, who is the actress from Precious. She won an, or no, was nominated for, I don't think she won, nominated for an Oscar for that, and she's been in Empire um, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and so this is her kind of mem- memoir, also behind the scenes look at how she landed that role in Precious um, when she was kind of like not, <laughs> not a famous actress at that point. She was, I think, in college and living with her mother um, and the, so you look both back, both at her, her childhood a little bit, but especially about her young adulthood, her first job, which was as a phone sex talker. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. And she has, I mean, like, if you think about it, she's got a great voice. So, okay. Um, but those parts are really, really funny because she talks a, a lot about, you know, like the ridiculousness that she would have to listen to, but also about how many people would call a phone sex line just to chat, like about nothing, just to like talk to a person. And how, and those, those are like the most interesting stories to me. Um, anyway, so she auditioned when she auditioned for Precious, she was in college and living with her mom, like I mentioned. Uh, and then when she, she got it, she, when she got the role, she dropped out of school and then went to go film the, um, movie. And so a lot of her stories in the book are about the process of filming this movie, which became this huge big deal, being nominated for an Oscar, all of that, while she was living at home with her mother and, like, all of her co-stars and everyone else involved in the film were these, like, huge, wealthy, rich people who, you know, had their own private jets and stuff. And, like, she lived in an apartment in Harlem with her single mom (laughs) and, like, that weird juxtaposition and the kind of... She's got a lot of, like, fun, gossipy stories about that um, situation. So it's a very much... Um, I don't I don't know if I would necessarily call it rag stretches, but like not super rich, super famous going from a fairly normal childhood, uh, even though like her father was polygamous uh, and her mother supported her kids by singing in subway. So like she ha- she knows from struggle, you know, and then going from that to like walking the red carpets and being in vogue and all of that kind of stuff in that kind of crazy roller coaster situation. Um, and she herself is hilarious, so self-deprecating, but not in a way that is like reflecting any insecurity at all and I really really love her voice her her writing voice I mean her actual speaking voice is fine but I love her writing voice um so this is just my face try not to stare by Gabrielle Sidibe I picked We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union, who you probably know. <laughs> She's been in a lot of movies. Been in some stuff. <laughs> been in a few, just a few. Um, and I read this when I pretty much when it came out, I think. And it was so funny and so raw. Like this book 
gets really into some dark stuff, um, which, speaking of which, it comes with a trigger, trigger warning um, for rape. She does discuss uh, the sexual assault and rape that she experienced when she was younger. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that in the spot. Uh, but it, it is in the book. Um, and she, so she talks about everything from that to, you know, colorism in Hollywood and, like, being a darker black woman versus being lighter. Um, she talks about dating. She talks about her divorce. She talks about being behind the scenes for various movies. Um, she talks about just uh, like all the things she talks about. She's really very frank, <laughs> like so frank. Um, and I found that I just was totally compelled by it. Even when I didn't agree with her, like she expresses personal opinions and I don't always agree with her on them, but it's not about that. Like it's about her just being very genuine and in the process being very funny um, and very insightful on the page. And so I think that like this may be, I mean, I don't know though, all of the ones that you've talked about, like all of those ladies get real about stuff, right? Um, I think. And so this is just like, it is funny and it's also very real. Uh, and I really appreciated that because, you know, like getting to see sort of like a, like just a gorgeous, beautiful, accomplished woman, talk about her personal struggles, I find very inspiring, um, especially considering her career arc. So again, that's We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union. Uh, all right. Our next sponsor, I'm kind of excited to do this spot, is Megabat by Anna Humphrey, illustrated by Cass Reich. Uh, the, our main character, Daniel Masumi, thinks his new house might be haunted, but when he goes to investigate, he doesn't find any ghosts, just a talking bat. So Daniel and Megabat become friends, and they bond over jelly rolls and Darth Vader. Oh my gosh, so cute. Um, emerging readers will fall in love with Megabat sunny outlook on life and giggle at his inventive use of language. Uh, this is for fans of Dory Phantasmagory and Narwhal and Jelly. It is a chapter book series destined to find a mega audience ages 7 to 10. I looked at some of the illustrations in this book. It's so cute. Um, this is definitely one that I'm going to want to give to my nephews who love chapter books and are always running out of things to read. Um, it's perfect for the readers who are not quite ready for example, for like origami Yoda, which are a little bit longer. So this is still short, but it's engaging. There's great illustrations. Um, and Megabat, like it said, has its own little vocabulary. So instead of crying, Megabat says dripping and watermelon is buttermelon. And there's all these fun words that kids will then get to incorporate into their own vocabulary in their silly times. So again, that is Megabat by Anna Humphrey, illustrated by Cass Reich. Super cute. Check it out. Always a fan of chapter books. All right, let's see. Our next question is from Caitlin, who says, I'm in the process of pursuing my dream and writing my first novel. However, I would love your thoughts on books for creativity and writing. I've read Big Magic and Stephen King's novel on writing. So anything that could help with encouragement and motivation would be lovely, open to nonfiction and fiction. Um, Amanda, why don't you go? I've been talking for a minute. Okay, um, I picked Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which is kind of a classic of this, this genre, I think, of books about creativity and specifically about writing. Um, it came out, when did it come out? In 1994. So it's been out for a minute, but I reread it every couple of years and it always stays fresh to me. Um, and this is very much like a guide on how to write, <laughs> but it's very, it's very general. So it's not, um, you know, sit down and use this app 
and et cetera. Not that that would be relevant anyway, because it was written in 1994. So I don't <laughs> know if those things existed. I don't remember. Super um, did not. I was 10. Scrivener was not a thing. Um, the internet was not a thing. Weird. That's weird. So she's, the main point of the, of her, I guess, writing philosophy is that it is not so much about having fits of creative genius where you sit down and, you know, the magic pours out of you onto the page. Um, it is very much about going bird by bird, which is a, she tells a story at the beginning that puts that into context where her, her brother had to do a, a project for school that was this very expensive thing about, you know, like national birds or whatever. And the advice that her father gave him was just do it bird by bird. And so that's her writing instruction is like, just sit down and write a scene or just sit down and write a chapter. And she does have, you know, her chapters are like, how to get started, how to write plot, how to write dialogue. Um, how do you know when you're done, which is a great chapter. Um, there is, uh, there is advice in there about like how to deal with writer's block, um, getting the most out of writing groups, being published, all that kind of thing. Um, crappy first drafts and, um, dealing with like writer's insecurity. Like if you feel like, oh, my idea is, isn't fresh, you know, the story has been told a million times. And she, she addresses that. And she addresses a lot of writers, right, insecurities that writers feel. And Lamott is kind of um, famously known, I guess, for being very frank and open uh, about her, like, feelings, <laughs> about her feels. And, and she's not hiding any of that, including, like, dealing with the jealousy that you'll experience when people who started writing at the same time as you were published and you're still not done with your first job, like that kind of thing. Um, so it is very much about both the process of writing and creativity, but about, um, like, the life of being a creative person living in the modern world. And um, I wish she would write an updated version about it that would include, like, social media and FOMO and all of that. But um, for like a 101 level, sitting down, writing a book, putting your nose to the grindstone and getting it done, kind of a guide. This is really like a classic. So that's Bird by Bird, Some Instructions on Writing and Life by Anne Lamont. My pick for you comes by way of Attica Locke, who, as you probably know if you've listened to the show much, is an amazing mystery writer. And she talked in a recommended episode about the book that she rereads before she starts every novel. And it's 13 Ways of Looking at the Novel by Jane Smiley. Um, and what Smiley does here is look at, like sh she, first of all, is talking about a hundred novels, which is a lot of novels, but she's not just like, reviewing them instead she's looking at you know the evolution of the novel and its history and like how do they work like digging into the guts of all of these different works and talking about her own craft as well as the craft of others so there is advice uh, for aspiring writers and there's also really like nitty-gritty digging into things like um I'll leave a link to this in the show notes but Attica Locke when she was talking about it on the podcast was talking about how there's this like plot clock and like she uses it to map out all of her novels. Um, so there's really applicable sort of examples of things that then you could use for your own work. And it's also, I mean, I think a celebration of just how amazing a novel can be. And I feel like it could be maybe easy. I mean, I'm not an aspiring writer in this way, so I don't know. But it feels to me like it could be easy to get lost in the like mechanics of it and kind of forget like the big picture view is that you're writing because novels are amazing. Um, and I think that this book will give you both of those things. Like it'll give you the nitty gritty and then also this big perspective on like just why is it so worth it to do the work of writing. So that is 13 Ways of Looking at the Novel by Jane Smiley. 
All right, question six is from Megan, who says, I love listening to YA novels and could use some new recs. I recently listened to and enjoyed When Dimple Met Rishi, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, and What I Saw and How I Lied. I also really enjoy Ray Morrell. Eleanor and Park is the only one I have left to read, and it is currently on my to-be-listened-to list, as well as Dublin. Okay, so you are into, like, contemporary, not fantasy, not sci-fi sort of YA. So I picked Valley Girls by Sarah Nicole Lemon which is about a girl named Rilla who is 17 and she is from like the wrong side of the tracks, tiny little podunk town in West Virginia. And she is kind of a troublemaker. She's gotten into, she gets into fights, she steals. um, And her mother has kind of like had it up to here with her. So her mom sends, she, she gets into like one final fight with her boyfriend, like a physical altercation. And her mom is like done. So she sends Rilla to live with her older sister, who is a park ranger in Yosemite National Park to clean up her act. So Rilla goes out there, goes from like, you know, it's her senior year of high school and she's got friends and a boyfriend to living in a like, camper with a bunch of park rangers in Yosemite, uh, where there is nothing to do. There is no internet. She doesn't get a phone signal and she immediately starts freaking out. She like gets arrested the first night that she's there. Um, but she is determined to like make good, right? Like she knows that she's been a pain in the butt to her family Um, She doesn't want her sister's future to be jeopardized by her, like, silly decisions. So she decides she's going to get it together. She charms her way into this really tight-knit community of rock climbers um, who are all young and are in the valley for the summer climbing, you know, rocks. (laughs) As one does when one is a rock climber. That was not eloquently put. It's fine. Um, And starts learning how to climb. Uh, and so the thing that I really appreciated about this book is I have no interest in or knowledge of rock climbing. I don't, I'm not like an outdoorsy sort of person, but I became so invested in her, in her falling in love with this sport, like this, this super athletic thing and the background information of what you need to do to climb these like huge mountainous surfaces in Yosemite is so like mind boggling. Like if you, once you get strapped in, she wants to climb this, um, it's called the nose. This like one really, really difficult climb that takes several days uh, in Yosemite. And this is like the thing she's working towards. But to do that, you have to stay strapped in for like days. Like you have to pee several thousand feet in the air, <laughs> strapped into a harness and do everything else. Like she talks about, you know, getting your period when you are strapped into a harness and you haven't touched ground for four days. And like, what's that, what that's like. And, you know, the feeling of being 17 and, um, knowing that if you make a decision, you could die, like the make a wrong choice, you could die. And so could all of your friends who are also attached to you, the bunch of ropes. And through this process, she comes to realize all of these things about her, like the stories that she tells about herself, about how she's good for nothing because she comes from poverty and she comes from West Virginia and people make these judgments about her um, are all wrong, that she's strong and she's smart and she's perfectly capable of doing really big, important, impressive things. Um, so yeah, girls make good via outside <laughs> is basically how I pitch it. Uh, and I really like it. So it's Valley Girls by Sarah Nicole Lemon. I have to read her one of these days. You love her so much. I do. I do. Such I do. A good job pitching she her tells book. these really great stories of like poor rural girls that I think need to be told more often. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I also have like four friends I'm going to recommend that to who are super into outdoor things. All right. Ooh, yeah. Onward. <laughs> 
I also picked my favorite contemporary YA for you. It's Anger is a Gift, which is both narrated and written by Mark Oshiro, um, because you mentioned that you like to listen to things. And he is great. He's got a very good voice. So I think you will enjoy listening to him narrate his own book. And this book, oh, like talk about books that gave me all of the feelings. This book is about a teenager named Moss who lives in Oakland and when he was younger, six years prior to the start of the novel, his father was murdered by an Oakland police officer and was like the subject of protests and news reports and all of this stuff. And Moss has kind of been left with anxiety and a lot of sort of fear and um, worry around first of all police but also around protests and things like that um and activism because he was sort of at the white hot center of it and for a little kid that can be too much um so now he's a sophomore in high school he's just kind of trying to like lay low and deal with his panic attacks and maybe find a date like the the book opens and he meets a cute boy on the subway and you're just like oh moss i just want you to be happy like oh my gosh like from the first page i was like moss i just want you to be happy um and he gets to school and the school has instituted new rules, including random locker searches. There's now like a security officer on campus who's doing way more than he ever had uh, like allowed to do before. And they're talking about bringing in metal detectors and all of this stuff. And the students are just like... Like, it's not just, you know, it's not about safety. It's about intimidation. And they're experiencing that firsthand. And so the students start to organize. And Moss has to kind of figure out, like, what is his part in that? Is he, is this the thing he wants to do? Is this the thing that he's good at? Like, what choices does he need to make? And y'all, let me tell you, this book has a really upsetting thing that happens halfway through. Um, And it is just so heartbreaking. Um, So, like, like make sure you have tissues when you read this book. Um, but it is ultimately a story about finding your voice and finding a way to use the anger that you might have in a way that like doesn't destroy you, but actually helps to helps you and helps the other people around you. Um, and it's so well done. It's so well paced. It is so moving. And I thought it was really well written and it's, it's just, it's just really good. It's really, really good. And I think it's a really important book and I'm so excited for it to be in the world and for teenagers to be able to read it and like find themselves, but also for adults to read it. Cause you know, I didn't, we, in my school, you know, going to high school in like the nineties, we didn't have a security. I mean, we had quote unquote security guards but they didn't do anything and they weren't police and um they they just like yelled at you if you didn't have a hall pass like this was not (laughs) this was not my experience so it was a real like it was a real eye-opener for me coming from my privileged high school experience to see like what exactly this looks like because you know we hear a lot about this stuff but we don't always know what it really means in terms of the day-to-day so this book I just I just think it's great I just I fell in love with the characters I I just thought it was fantastic so that's Anger is a Gift by Mark Oshiro and our last question is from Laura who says I've read two books this year Pachinko and Do Not Say We Have Nothing which really made me realize that I know very little about 20th century East Asian history I'm looking for nonfiction to give me some grounding in the topic it doesn't have to be specifically about Japanese colonization of Korea or the cultural revolution I'd be happy with anything compelling and readable about 19th or 20th century China, Japan, Korea or even Southeast Asia Amanda Okay, well, I did pick something about the Cultural Revolution, so 
So there. <laughs> um, uh, I picked Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China by Zheng Cheng, which is a multi-generational story. Well, three generations. That's multi. It's a multi-generational story um, about 20th century Chinese history told through the perspective of like these three women. Um, it's kind of a memoir, sort of. A memoir of a family, I would say. It's a good way to put it. Um, Zheng Chang talks about her experience uh, living in China and then moving to Britain and then tells the story of Chinese history through her grandmother, uh, her mother, and herself. Um, so her grandmother was a warlord, like a concubine to a warlord um, before the communist revolution. And then after the revolution, her connection uh, to that man causes a lot of problems for her family. Um, Her mother was an idealistic member of the communist party. Her father was a kind of high ranking uh, member of the communist party who was very ideologically um, pure. Like he had like believed everything that he said. He, he didn't take advantage of um, any opportunities to, to like further the financial position of his family or that of his children um, or, you know, any of his other relatives, which his family gave him a lot of grief for. Um, but then the cultural revolution happens and his family, uh, he experiences a major downfall. Um, and so does a lot of her other, her other families. Uh, she herself, when she was 14, the author Zheng Cheng was a red guard when she was 14, which so many of the red guards of the cultural revolution were these just like teenagers doing all of these horrible things, um, to their friends and neighbors. Uh, and then she becomes kind of like a peasant. She works as a steel worker. She works as an electrician, eventually ends up in the UK. Um, so it really is like a microcosm of like rural Chinese poverty, the way that women had to, the things women had to do to get out of that, how, how and why, um, they would join the, the communist party eventually. And then the downfall of, um, those, idealistic, youthful kind of attitudes um, through a lot, a lot of violence um, told through this one one woman's family. It's a bit of a classic, I think, almost at this point, even though it was written very recently. It was published in the early 90s. Um, and it covers up through her life to the 80s. Um, and after the Cultural Revolution is over and the feeling, like the repercussions of that event or series of events have um, not stopped, but are kind of winding down. So that is Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China by Zheng Cheng. So I 100% missed the word nonfiction <laughs> in this question. Whoops. Um, but I'm going to give you a historical novel that I think you should still read because it's really good. It's The Court Dancer by Kyung Suk Shin, which just came out this week. I talked about it on all the books uh, as well. And I just love this author. It, some of you, if you're a longtime listener, will remember that I've recommended her book, Please Look After Mom, more than once. Um, it's just so good. This takes place at the turn of the century, uh, like late 1800s, early 1900s, and has sort of two Two main characters, one of whom, as you might guess from the title, is a court dancer at the like of the, you know, at the Joseon dynasty's court. Um, And she sort of, you know, grew up in the court and you find out like how she got there, um, but had a little bit of an unusual childhood in that she was exposed to a. I suppose she like met a French missionary who taught her French um, and like also, you know, introduced her to a young boy who becomes her best friend. And 
Um, so she's had like a little bit more exposure to Western people and languages than other folks might have. And then when she's older, a French diplomat comes to court and you get his perspective too. Um, and he is like, you know, there to represent France as an ambassador. And there's a lot of political machinations going on within the country at this point because Korea has kind of been forced to open its borders up and China and Russia and, you know, like all of these different foreign powers are vying for influence. Um, and so this, you know, very new diplomat arrives in the middle of all this and has to deal with that. And he also like sees her. He sees uh, Yi Jin, who's the court dancer, and falls like desperately in love with her on sight um, as young and French men are, are wont to do, apparently. <laughs> um, and so you get this relationship that Yi Jin is sort of funneled into because of court politics as well. And you see her perspective on France and you see her in Korea and you see, you know, sort of these world, different worlds meeting. Um, and it's so well written. And the, like I was, I was said this on all the books too, the rhythms of the prose in historical fiction are different from what I'm used to. And I'm really enjoying sort of, I'm reading it really slowly because it's sort of a new kind of reading experience structurally for me. And I'm really enjoying that. So I think it's, a, she's an amazing novelist and this is her newest book and it's definitely one to pick up, if, especially if you're looking for, to understand um, a certain time period in Korea, but also you love historical fiction, like definitely pick it up. So that's The Court Dancer by Kyung Suk Shin. And that's our show. Hooray! Thank you all for listening. Um, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a moment. We love to see the feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. Thank you to our sponsors for helping make this episode possible. You can find me on social media, mostly on Tumblr, although a little bit more on Twitter these days. Um, but it's Jen IRL and that's Jen with two N's. I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>